God is king. God is king, but life is difficult, and trusting God is hard. And we can't see God, so we need some kind of human being to lead us. So what, what kind of human being should serve God and lead his people? That's the, the question on the table in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel as we rejoin them this morning. What kind of human being should serve God and lead his people? It's a, a book about God's leader, which means it's a, a book, like all the rest of the Bible, about Jesus. It's a book building the case for a king like Jesus, written over a thousand years before Jesus is born, uh, but Old Testament history is building towards him. And it's actually what we saw last week. If you were here, um, we saw that on the very first Easter Sunday, Jesus does two long, whole Bible, Bible studies. And Jesus said, the Bible is about me, about Jesus the King. And that's where this book is now heading. But 1 Samuel 8 is still very much in the blundering around in the dark phase and in the, um, the wrong answers area of the book. Here is going to be what not to do. Here is what Jesus isn't. So uh, over the next eight weeks, we will appreciate Jesus more. And also we will see the dangers in wrong kinds of human leaders. And as we do that, there, there will be things to learn about presidents and prime ministers and chancellors and queens. But churches and church leaders are actually the closer application. And we won't be letting ourselves off the hook as we look at this. In God's people today, in the church, we need some kind of human beings to lead us as under-shepherds of the good shepherd, King Jesus. So, Samuel's question, what kinds of human beings? So please, would you look down at the account in chapter 8, open up 1 Samuel chapter 8. It is a, a huge regime change moment. Israel is going to move from being a loose confederation of families with rotating occasional leadership into a centralized monarchy with a king and a civil service and a professional army. And what we've got in this chapter is a conversation, a conversation about whether that is a good idea, a conversation between the people and God with Samuel stuck firmly in the middle. And the conversation begins in verse 5, when they ask for a king. That's our first point. They ask for a king. Look at verse 5. They said to him, to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So what do you think? Good request or bad request? We'll track back to verses 1 to 3, and we'll see that they get the problem right. Um, Samuel is old. Not necessarily they should have said it like that, but he is old. Um, and that is a problem, because the pattern for the last several hundred years in the book of Judges is that every time a good judge dies, the people abandon God, and God judges them. And Samuel's sons, they are not the answer. That's right as well. Verse 3, they did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. 
they're not going to be very good judges or leaders if they're all about bribes and perverted justice. And actually, that is a pattern as well. Uh, When we looked at chapters 1 to 7, before we met Eli, who also had two sons, and they also were evil, abusive men. It's a pattern, and we know God hates it. The the book opens with a prayer from Samuel's mum. Turn back, please, to chapter 2. Chapter 2, Hannah's prayer, it gives us the theological principles for the whole book. She introduces God. God, uh, he is a God who lifts up some people and pushes down others. And Hannah tells us who, verse 3, it is the proud and arrogant who God hates. And verse 6 to 10, they go down. But verse 8, verse 9, the poor, the needy, the faithful, God lifts up. And chapters 1 to 7 are a worked example. They're all about God pushing down Eli and his sons and lifting up Samuel. So the people back in chapter 8, they get the problem right. This is a disaster for God's people. They live surrounded by enemies with stronger armies and better weapons than them. And those enemies, they've taken it in turns to carry out, well, special military operations against them. And Israel's only ally is God. So evil leaders, they are a disaster because without God, this people has no hope. So how about their solution then? Appoint a king. Now, there is going to be a lot of negative king chat over the next eight weeks. So it's really important that we start off this series knowing that there is nothing wrong in principle with their request. Now that might surprise you, so let me show you a few different ways. Um, If you know the book of Judges, that book closes shouting that we need a king, that people need a king. And actually, we already know that God wants Samuel to anoint a king. So go back to chapter two again. Hannah's great prayer at the beginning of the book, how God pushes down the proud and lifts up the humble. Look at the last two lines of her prayer in verse 10. Last two lines in verse 10. God, he will give strength to his king and exalt his anointed. And we said that's a weird thing to pray at the time because they didn't have a king. So the whole book, we've been expecting a king. And in 2 verse 35, God tells Eli he is going down, but a faithful priest will be raised up, and that's Samuel. And end of that verse, Samuel's house will minister before my anointed one always. So Samuel's line of priests, they are the ministers of God's anointed king. And then our first Bible reading today was from Deuteronomy 17. And Moses, hundreds of years earlier, he tells them what kind of king they should have. So 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, this is the book about finding the king. King is actually the right answer. But look at verse 6 in chapter 8. Samuel is displeased. And look at verse 7. God says they've rejected God as their king. And verse 8, it's the same thing they've done since the beginning, forsaking the true God and serving other gods. So how can the right answer be so much the wrong answer? 
Well, I think it will help us today all the way through to ask not only what did they say, but hmm, what could they have said? What should they have said? So how about this? Look at verse 5 again. Did we notice that that God doesn't get a mention in verse 5? It's not clear, actually, that they really care that Samuel's sons aren't following God. They just don't want them and their corrupt justice. And actually, they could have asked, um, well, several better requests, better questions. So where is here the, um, please, Samuel, ask God what we should do? Or um, please ask God for a a new leader? Or, Or even please ask God whether it might be time for the king now? That'd be a very different request, wouldn't it? And certainly, if you are going to go for a king, how about, please could God tell us what kind of king we need? And there's none of that, because they think they know what kind of king they need. So they say, give us one, such as all the other nations have. Which means they've learned nothing from 1 Samuel 1 to 7. God pushes down the proud, lifts up the humble. Why? Because God is king and humble recognises God is king. Recognises God is king and I am not. So submission and obedience, those are the right human responses to God. But pride sees that God is king and tries to replace God with me in the end. And in Deuteronomy 17, Moses says they will ask for a king like all the other nations. And then he tells them, make sure to appoint over you a king, the Lord your God chooses. And he follows that with a a list, a list, um, you heard it earlier, that is totally unlike the kings ruling over every other nation. And the big number one priority is a king who has God's words who writes his own copy, actually, and takes it with him wherever he goes and reads it every day and is careful to follow every word in it all of his days. And in particular, someone who does not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and so turn from the law to the right or to the left. Um, It's annoying, isn't it? when rulers think the laws don't apply to them. Maybe something in the news has reminded us of that recently in the UK. Uh, but in, the, in Israel, it's much more than just annoying because God is king. And a king who doesn't listen to what God says is a king who thinks he's better than everyone else and a king who thinks he's better than God. And that is a king who God will push down. Oh dear, see, they ask for a king. But they want a king like all the other nations have, when actually Israel needs a king who is totally different from all the other nations. So we're we're shaking our heads, oh dear. And you expect God to say no. Same tool, we can use it on what God says. God could have said, uh, maybe you think God should have said no. But um, look at verse 9. Now listen to them but warn them solemnly. That's the material for our point two. God gives them the king they have chosen. They ask for a king, and second, God gives them the king they have chosen. Samuel, listen to them and warn them. 
which sets the scene for the next eight weeks. Uh, We're going to watch a kind of king experiment, a warning. Uh, We're going to try the kind of king they want first and see how that goes. Let's try someone similar to every other nation. And before we shake our heads at them and and criticise them, remember that I said this wouldn't really be about Boris Johnson and parties in 10 Downing Street, or even really about Vladimir Putin and sending thousands of conscripts to die. Both of those things, and actually everything else in every country that anyone listening to this, uh, this morning belongs to, that is all just normal. That's how it works in every other nation. The problem in chapter 8 is God's people thinking that kind of king will help them. So the closest parallel today isn't secular government of countries, but is Christian leadership of churches. Jesus is king, but he gives us human leaders, and they can be good or bad. And we, as God's people, we reveal a lot about ourselves in what we want and we ask for. Remember, they had a real and a serious problem. They had enemies all around them and they had a succession crisis. So they reach out for the best off-the-shelf solution from the world around them. And we are no different. I think if our church, if your church has a problem, then of course we're going to be in the market for solutions. And how we speak about leaders is really revealing. Um, Maybe think of your favourite Christian author or leader or speaker. Uh, And now think about how you describe them. Um, Why should someone else come and hear them, read their book, come to your event, your church, or give Christianity a second chance? Um, I was thinking this week of um, the way the media have described the last two archbishops of Canterbury. Um, One was promoted as the cleverest man in Britain. He speaks five languages, don't you know? And the other one promoted as the expert on business. Used to be an executive, don't you know? An oil executive. Now, neither of those two men chose how they were spoken about. And um, Archbishop Rowan uses his brains Um, not least his deep understanding of the Russian church recently. And Archbishop Justin uses his business skills for a church in real financial crisis. But do you see the danger if we choose what will make us the same as everyone else, what will make us credible to everyone else? Give us a king such as all the other nations have to meet our fears and solve our problems. So Samuel gives them God's warning. Um, Verse 11, this is what the king who reigns over you will claim as his rights. And um, what we get, it's not some massive exaggeration about the worst kind of dictator. What Samuel says, I think we will all recognize from the news and from history and uh, from your workplace. Lots of the list here, actually, it's simply necessary uh, if you're going to go with centralized power at all. So um, follow it down. He'll take your sons and make them soldiers. And that's, that's actually the point. That's what they want. They want a king and his army. And obviously the, the king won't be able to do his own farming. Verse 12, he will be busy. So your sons will farm his land or make weapons and chariots, guns and tanks. 
but the, um, the army and the government, it needs to run, so your daughters will cook and bake. Verse 13, and all of that needs to be paid for, so some of your land will be given to the generals and the officials. Verse 14, and there will be taxes at 10%, Samuel says. Verse 15, that was the going rate in the Iron Age Levant. Uh, maybe Rishi Sunak could take a look at that, 10%. And that will work its way down uh, to servants, cattle, and flocks. It's just normal. That's what you're really asking for. But the repeated word is take. A king like this will take from you. Take, 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 take. And the end result, verse 17, is slavery. You yourselves will become his slaves. This king will assume that that you and everything you have belongs to him. And it will be his right to take whatever he needs or wants. And that's when it's working well, before we even get to the really bad kings. And when that day comes, verse 18, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer on that day. Instead of asking for relief from the Philistines, you'll ask for relief from the king you chose. And that's our third point. Um, I've called that the problem with getting what you ask for. So Samuel warns them solemnly. And remember, this is the nation who had been slaves in Egypt. It's no small thing to choose to be slaves again. And what should they say after the warning? At the very least, they should say, help us. Help us understand what to do. If not kings, then what? Uh, Or um, is there any way we can have a good king? Someone who wouldn't replace you, God, and enslave us. But look at what they actually do. Um, They double down, don't they? God told Samuel to listen to them. And now verse 19, they refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. No humility, no listening. They haven't been warned. It's simply what they want. And then they tell us why they want it, verse 20. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. It, it's so sad and so human, isn't it? They are terrified. And we learn in chapter 12 that this, this whole conversation, it happens during an invasion. We need someone to fight for us. But the tragedy is they already have someone. Um, Chapters 1 to 7, after we push down the proud, there's a bit in the middle where God flies solo with no human help at all and defeats the Philistines all on his own. And then chapter 7 brings it all together. The people plus Samuel plus God. And the people are Samuel, Samuel asks God, and God fights their battle for them. God leads them and goes out before them. This is sad and human and sinful. What do they want to be? It's not only the king they want to be like all the other nations. Did you hear verse 20? The attraction of the king, like all the other nations, is the effect that he will have on us. Then we shall be like all the other nations. So taking and making. 
That's what this kind of king will do. He will take everything from them and he will make them the same as everyone else. And it's not really something they can complain about. That is literally what they are asking for. Which is why back in verse 7, God says that they're really rejecting him, not Samuel. That is quite a swap to make, isn't it? Um, In verse 8, God takes us back to Egypt. And what kind of record is God defending as king? Imagine this like a, a French presidential election. God is totally powerful, always victorious, ever patient, loving and kind, rescuing them, forgiving them, giving them the land and the fields, vineyards, cattle and donkeys, sons and daughters, giving them everything. Compared to a king like the Philistines, we meet them, the takers, the invaders, the murderers. What a swap. And it's quite a swap to make about yourselves too, isn't it? They were God's own people. Holy, which means set apart, means different from all the rest. Not the same. No other nation on earth who he chose to be his own treasured possession with rights that gave each family security and food and dignity. The the whole idea that they they could have a king who wouldn't consider himself better than them. And that's the only kind of king who Moses thinks would fit with who they are, who God has made them. And they will swap that in order to be the same. One nation among many. And that the fear, I think we understand their fear. And the problem, the problem of trusting a God who you cannot see, we share that with them, don't we? And we also feel the temptation. We want to be the same. We want life to be easy. It would be easy if we were the same. And so we choose leaders who will make us the same. And that is where all of the problems come. Um, Reflecting on uh, the last few years, I think in nearly all of the abuse scandals in evangelical churches, uh, there has been a common threat. It's been that the leader who really brought something to the table, the leader who made us successful, who made us feel good. And in exchange... When those people took from us, it was almost as if we thought they had the right to, in the language of the passage, as if those were the rights of the king. And frequently, when we had to choose whether to expose them and bring them down, um, we saw most clearly the threat to our church or our ministry. And so they could rely on us to defend them and hide them again and again. And I I say us, um, not because I've acted in ways that you need to to know about on that, but because the main application character in chapters 8 to 15, it's not really going to be a king. Uh, It's not that we are looking at the uh, terrible individual. It is going to be God's people as a whole. Verse 22, God said, listen to them and give them what they asked for. Give them a king. 
Uh, We get the leaders we want and ask for in general. And how we respond when things go wrong, well, that reveals what we wanted them to be and to do for us. God is king. God is king. But life is difficult and trusting him is hard and we can't see God now. So we need some kind of human being to lead us. So we urgently need to know what kind of human being should serve God and lead his people. And the book of Samuel will tell us. And that will keep us safe with human leaders, but it will also make us appreciate Jesus more. Our our whole service has been themed around that verse from Mark's Gospel. Uh, We spent three hours on Good Friday last week reflecting on it. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the nations, you know what they're like. They want to be served. But Jesus says, I came to serve. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. He is a humble king, a king under God, a king for his people. And that... That is the precious, vital, amazing point of difference. We are not the same. We should not be the same. We do not want to be the same. We shouldn't want God to listen to us. But we need to listen to God. And I'm going to pray that again for us now. So, Father, with our human fears and uh, wants exposed, our desire to be the same, our desire to have human solutions and leaders that make us look the same, make us feel safe. Father, we ask that we would be humble enough to listen to you and to rejoice in how different you are and to appreciate your son, the servant king, and that we would ask to follow him more closely, more nearly in all our lives and in our church life in particular. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.